Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to unequivocally figure out what the best movie is of any given year. This season, we're digging into 1975, and this week, on your bonus show, we're going up against the Yakuza. Oh, no. Your... Oh, it's dangerous, my friend. <laughs> but don't worry. I've been there before. I know all the people. I know who to talk to. I'm your host, Mike Gravano. That scared type is Greg. Yes, I'm the, I'm the type that's like, just while wow, there's a fight going, like, stop it, stop it. I'm gonna You're going to get us all attack. in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are a real English teacher. That's what that guy was, right? I think so, yeah. or that, that's the vibe he gave off. Real literary type, just owned the guns and then asked everybody not to do any fighting. You can take all my guns, but please but don't fight. But just look at them. <laughs> and the strong, silent type, who wears a turtlenecker, his hair's kind of long, he likes watching women make tea. Our Dusty. It's Ryan. Uh, Dusty. Okay. I mean, I didn't think I was going to be Kilmer, but Dusty, the young fucking stud? Yeah, the... Uh, who explains I everything? convinced was young John Voight. <laughs> is <Really>? not. Because <laughs> I don't think John Voight was young in the 70s. <laughs> or ever. <laughs> he was born haggard. And he'll die haggard. We can only hope. Gentlemen... How do you feel about the Yakuza in an overall vibe? What was your history before this? I had never even heard of it before, but uh, as become the the story with the 75 season, just looked at a, a list of the movies that I didn't think were going to make it and just thought I would watch some of them to see what they were like. And I was interested in the Yakuza because it's a, you know, mafia stories are always interesting. And the Japanese mafia is like a, a specifically interesting uh, group. And so then I watched it before the season started, and I was I was really into it. Watched it now for this show, and still really into it. I think it's a a solid movie, a movie that allows itself to be uh, slow, but then pretty good ultimately. Ryan, I the reason I'd heard of it, I think, is because um, Tarantino and the Tarantinos, like people of his ilk, um, Paper his band. His, his the rest of his bandmates, the bass player, the drum player, you know who's in a band, uh, and just the people like him online. Synth player. It's just one of those movies that they they talked up for Art the last section. ten years because it was not a big hit. It was actually a notorious flop. Yes. Um that's how I heard about it. I thought it was weird that they were talking up a Sidney Pollock movie because Sidney Pollock movies are typically not thought of as like cinematic classics. Yes, right. uh, I, I think it's incredibly or, strange that it, this is the first season of movie of the year where we're doing two movies of the same director and it is Sidney Pollack. Yes. Cause he well, is a, d- who, what what, what, oh, uh, three days of the condor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy who has like made his mark all over Hollywood. You'd recognize his face cause he's been in a bunch of movies, mm-hmm. uh, including movie of the year. Eyes wide shut. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, it was like kind of the center of that movie in a lot of ways, but, um, and then, uh, has directed a bunch of movies, but, damn like try to get someone's opinion on him as a director people have like almost nothing to say <laughs> they're just like he goes and he makes the movie he does it uh he'll like you send you give him the script and the actors and then he'll point the camera at them and then yeah he'll get it done is that for a, you. a journeyman is that what you call that yeah but i i mean i think that he has when you're a journeyman you're almost paid to not have any flair he, uh, like i think that a he's television a television director a tele- yeah and if he was alive today or if he came up in the 2020s instead of the 70s and 60s he would be a well-known showrunner right you know um that getting get out i don't think there's very many of his movies where he was the first choice and oftentimes 
it's not even we knew about the first choice or we did it wasn't that he was the first like the second choice to but the first to come on many other directors had come on and then turned it down and then you get to Pollock so he's like the fixer like he'll make this lost in limbo movie actually happen exactly yeah and there is something to be said for that there's but a skill yeah now when we're not studio owners in the 70s but instead film watchers mm-hmm. uh that skill is less important to us i it turns out that right. i didn't I didn't love this movie. Um, there You're was crazy. A lo- this movie fucks. I'm putting it out there. <laughs> I love this movie. This there, movie has high katana content. There was a lot of stuff to like, but I think my issues with it overwhelmed the stuff that I did like. I there's, I think this is my version of getting older, and I've always leaned towards noir. But like, you know how some dudes get way into World War II and go in the weird deep. But at this point, like if if it's an old detective who has a shady yeah. past. My critical brain, I have to fight to turn it on. It's just two at my bottom, just like, oh, he's not going to want to run, but he has to run and fight, even though he says he doesn't want to anymore. Like, it's the best thing in the world. And this movie, like, it, is, it reminds me so much of Night Moves. Yeah. Like, it's uh-huh. the exact same sort of feel yes. and story. Like, the, the, it feels like the initial case gets wrapped up, like, in minute 25. Mm-hmm. They're like, all right, very good. So that's who did that. All right, we got her. Good. And then it's like, well, no, there's the repercussions. And that's in both <laughs> cases, is like you basically are dealing with the repercussions of, of what gets figured out kind of early in the movie. I think, too, that you have in those, I think, yeah, it's a perfect comparison because Night Moves, we talked about how it's sort of a a play on the archetypes of the pi right mm-hmm. and maybe the stuff that we take for granted in these movies we shouldn't um and here what we have is somebody who is you know grizzled just like all of the stuff that all of the stuff about that archetype and then you're like well you think you're fucking grizzled and stoic and quiet wait till you meet <laughs> Jap- japan's version of you and then yeah. it, that all flips on its head as well and he's like, now I'm the young buck and I talk yeah. too much. This is bullshit. <laughs> I think that's the only reason Dusty's in this movie is to be like, no, yeah. no, no. Robert Meacham also is grizzled. <laughs> also, Robert Meacham is probably going to be drunk most of the time. So we might want to get a Rusty or a Dusty or some <laughs> translator. Somebody younger than I that. read some of what Sidney Pollack said about working with him. And it was like, he literally said, he's like a mule. You have to beat the shit out of him to get the best out of him. But then you can as long as you do it. And it's like, okay. And he's like, yeah, he likes to drink a lot. Like, oh. <laughs> Oh, all right. Yeah, I remember that from Jaws, right? Like, sometimes you're going to have an actor who is just going to be... And uh, Holy Grail. Yeah, yeah, in the bag the entire time. So that's yeah. what that's a clear through line of the 70s. That's 75, baby. I was going to ask, is what's going on with, with Night Moves and this? What's going on with the 70s? The real message after the case is, don't have friends for too long, because eventually they will fuck you over and try to kill you. That's... Well- that's I think that's part of the 75 of it all to be honest is like that that's what it's like when you have a dissolution of everything that you've come to like rely on part of what gets pulled into that is like mm-hmm. your friends and I think a lot of the literature of the 70s is about like not just families falling apart but friends falling apart too because they realize that they're either like professional acquaintances and that's it or that they just have no real basic or like critical reason for being associated with one another and that's what i think happens with these guys they're like old army buddies or whatever right and so like that's not the basis for a lifetime relationship or chopping it, off your finger is a life is basically a lifetime relationship. that's how we do it uh, all right, or, right now royalty. we're all whipping our pinkies out and chopping them <laughs> off. Oh, let's do it guys 
that? <laughs> uh, loyalty only goes so far, and mm-hmm. I think is what seventy five was figuring yeah. out. And um, we were clearly that was clearly the case with the government. And all of these movies are about the government. But I think I'm shocked by how many of these movies take it even a step further. One movie I also want to talk about today too, not just Night Moves, but is Defy Blood. Oh hell yeah! Yes, all <laughs> of us. Were, yes, you were read my mind because Greg uh, emailed me about the Five Bloods and right? the whole time. I was like, this is the Five Bloods. I mean, yeah, like the, 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 there's like major plot points that were obviously yeah. Spike Lee is not just like borrowing he's like actually like go watch yakuza everybody (laughs) but um we're realizing that for everyone in our life not just the government but family and friends um that they are loyal until they're not you know loyalty is this thing that can be stopped for almost any reason the only reason people are loyal to you is because no one has given them a reason to stop and because most that's heartbreaking and because most modern slash maybe western conceptions of loyalty there's like nothing there Mm -hmm. this portrays a world where loyalty comes with sacrifice and that sacrifice is physical painful sacrifice and that creates like something beyond just the word loyalty because just the concept of loyalty you have it until like you said right until you just don't anymore it's just gone one day but when there's like something actually behind all that then it's not just simply like a, a word anymore that's why if either of you ever call me and say, my kid's in trouble, I'm just going to kill you right away because I know that's the yes. long-term issue. Yeah, if it's I ever call all... you and say, my kid's in trouble, something really weird you, is going on. It might be, or for Greg, your cat, it might be yeah. actually in trouble, but I do know even once I help you, you're going to try to fuck me over. Well, Greg's going to call Mike and say, my kid's in trouble, and Mike's going to go, my goal's in trouble. Wait, that's me. And then just go take a vacation so he's not in trouble anymore. Our hangouts are basically like a John Woo scene. It's everybody with two pistols pointed at two yeah. other people who have their pistols pointed at two other people. We're all cool, but they're the Buzz Lightyear pistols from the Disneyland ride. <laughs> but still, we all want to rack up more points than the other two. It's fun as hell. All right, we are going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, actually dig into the Yakuza. <laughs> well, that is very, very funny. Or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Retired detective Harry Kilmer, played by Robert Meacham, is called back to Japan decades after serving there in WW2, when his old friend George Tanner's daughter is kidnapped by the Yakuza. Kilmer is accompanied by another son's friend Dusty to act as muscle, and hits up his old flame Aiko Tanaka, played by Kiko Kishi, to track down her brother who originally ran Kilmer out of town. As Kilmer and Tanaka Ken, played by, confusingly, Takakura Ken, (laughs) work together, things go awry and secrets come out. Brother Schrader, writers of previous Moody Mishima, a, what in four chapters? Story in four a chapters? Story probably? in four chapters, yeah. Came up with the original story and screenplay be- before getting let go by director Sidney Pollock, who then brought in Robert Town, writer of Chinatown in 1975 Shampoo, everything is connected, to rewrite <laughs> the script. Released to mixed reviews, the Yakuza has grown to cult following. Fans including, as we said before, Quentin Tarantino, and as of this week, famous movie podcast host Mike Gravagna. <laughs> Taste buds, I ask you this. How well do Sidney Pollock and Robert Town slash Paul Schrader do with the blending of cultures through philosophies, character motivations, talk traditions, and their filmmaking writing choices? And who does the story belong to more, director or writer? 
I would say writers, honestly, for a couple of reasons. One, I just don't think, say what you want, uh, but Sidney Pollack is the kind of guy who is going to shoot the fuck out of a movie, you know? Uh-huh. And, and sometimes that's great, but sometimes, sometimes you're setting a tool you know, by the side and not using it when you're just like, I'm just going to shoot what the page says. Right. When you're not bringing anything with your camera or with what we think you're doing on set, it does feel like it leaves us a little empty. And I'm not talking about like big shots, cinematic shots where you like, I'm not talking about shots. We're always talking about shots. I'm talking about everybody's always but talking see, about shots. How, wh- I, I think on the show we've learned that there's shots and then shots, right? There is flaming castle in Ran, but then right. there's also like uh, the kind of Kelly Reichardt first cow shots that aren't so in your face and dare I say masculine, but still mm. like composed and effective. This movie, <laughs> this movie is just shown to us, <laughs> like, right? And yeah, I think that it makes. It makes me sort of think, and this is the impression that I get, not just from seeing a lot of Pollock movies. Some I love. Like, I'm still a Tootsie fan because I haven't seen it in a long time. <laughs> I'm sure if I watched it now, it would be horrifying. But, um, but like, that's another movie where the writer and the actors are amazing and doing all of the heavy lifting. I just think he, he gets in and gets out. And I think that at this point in our lives, at this point for movie of the year, sort of makes it impossible to go on any further than this current conversation. And when this podcast has itself engaged with Schrader in First Reformed, which was his own movie, and Mishima, Mm -hmm. which was his own movie, and then seeing how much influence of his is obviously in the Yakuza, it's so hard to believe Sidney Pollack did anything other than just like, yeah, I'll shoot this. Yeah, sure. (laughs) What do we got? Page one. All right. And then the other thing, too, with Schrader is that he was like, uh, the studios were like, uh, what about this kid for Yakuza? Uh, he directed this Mean Streets movie, and he was like, no. Oh, that Martin guy? Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. <laughs> he is terrible for this movie. Uh, so they go Can and hire Pollock. One year later, Schrader's like, hey, Marty, will you direct Taxi Driver for me? I wrote Taxi <laughs> Driver. Would you please do this? For you. And I do. I also see the, the, the Robert Town, because Paul Schrader's vibe seems to be pretty nihilistic. And, and, self, and self-destructive, right? Yeah, and Robert Town makes writes movies about characters that are nihilistic, but I don't know if his movies necessarily are. Well, Robert, there's a certain amount of warmth that comes with him. I think. I mean, Town yeah. Town wrote Chinatown. Yeah, huh. I mean, isn't that the isn't that like the proto nihilist? <laughs> but China, Chinatown and at, shampoo. But he wrote Princess Bride. Yeah, like. He also him and no, Pollock are true. similar in that way. <laughs> okay, I was just agreeing with you. If if you say it sounded it, really Goldman, good. Goldman, yeah, William Goldman, the other big screenwriter at the time, wrote Princess Bride. But um, I think that Town has a, is a much better with Chinatown and Shampoo of bringing the audience in mm. and sort of giving them a hug while he maybe stabs them in the back. And Trader, that's just impossible for him. He wants you at arm's right. length. He loves that you're arm's length. He will wrap you in barbed wire and say, "Was it real?" What the fuck, man! That movie's crazy. Stab himself. <laughs> no, I want to watch it again. In the finger, I, cut off his own pinky. Uh, hand to God, had not heard of Paul Schrader before we started doing movie of the year. Same. And I'm like, this guy just does everything, and I love it. It's weird. I remember watching First Reformed and being like, "Okay, I, that was a really good movie. I should look yeah. this guy up." And then I was like, "Let's see what else he write, uh, or let's see what else he do." Oh, he wrote Taxi Driver. Oh, okay, yeah. So this is actually a big person that I should probably know. Very yeah. cool. With and like I don't want to, there, there's somebody said like 
so the blending of cultures. So we talked about who. How does Schrader or or Pollock or or Ta- whoever? How does the movie blend the cultures? Does it feel like it naturally does weave? I think with Western- a Western. With a more skilled director, I think the words would have popped off the page more and not just been words. Because I, mm. I like the conversations that we have, mostly with Dusty, right? Yeah. D- Dusty is Kilmer's, uh, Robert Mitchum's bodyguard. And he's yeah. young and he's dumb. And he's... He His pockets like, are full of gum. You can tell. Uh, <laughs> that guy's going to chew all day. Burgeoning with gum. He's basically there to be like, uh, he's your responsibility. Oh, gosh, what does that mean? And then, you know, we sort of find out how America works compared to Japan. I think, though, we should point out that in 75, I think America needed more of a primer on what was up with Japan. It's become like such a big part of American culture. And I think that started in the mid to late 70s. But before I remember Rollerball, their image of Japan is like, what are these people like again? I don't know. (laughs) You know, so like, I don't think I don't think a lot of America was very conversant in what like Japan was all about. But they were economically so important. It was like, we should learn about these people. Because they might be giving us a lot of money soon. And I, I think those conversations were mostly well done. You know, I totally they, agree. They yeah. were interesting. They were well performed. I think that the I think Rush Hour 2, though, has more like uh, film style, filmic style of blending the two cultures. Because of the radio stuff about not touching. Not, you, you never yeah. touch a black man's radio uh, than this movie does. Like, I don't think well, Paul that was Rush Hour 1, Rush yeah, Hour 2, actually, which is where Jackie Chan says you, you never touch. Such a Chinese man's radio. Yeah. Actually, there is no such movie as Rush Hour One. It was just called Rush Hour. Oh, so these guys. Oh, you, there. you should go, go back and look at the new VHSes they're making. It now <laughs> says Rush Hour One. <laughs> Hold on, I have to be right back. I have to go mark on every VHS. Um, yeah, Paul, he just there's nothing there, and there's so much culture, and you can mm-hmm. tell that I, I I do believe that Schrader did study. You know, like right. there's stories about him and his brother hold up in an apartment watching. Countless movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Larry Schrader, let's call him. Yeah, that's his brother, yeah. Uh, Or Leonard Schrader. L. Schrader. L. Schrader. L. Schrader. Too obvious. L. Schrader. (laughs) The Shredder, I think. Uh, Super Shredder. He was stationed in Japan and then, like, wrote a letter talking about, like, it's crazy. And then Paul Schrader went, that's a goddamn story. Like, but he was just saying, like, I think the cultural differences, I think, like, American honor, the concept of honor versus, which I think is very similar to in the intro we said loyalty, where it's just like people, the people who scream it all the time are probably going to stab you in the back at some point. Uh, yeah. It's the douchebag hardcore kid guys who say death before dishonor, they're going to slash your tires. Yeah. Uh, well, like, I mean, right now, if if someone is like, we would scream USA a lot, then they would mm-hmm. kill somebody like us because we're actually outside of what they even understand to be part of, right. US, of the USA. Or police trying to guard stuff. And think of Tanaka Ken, which, thank God, I don't know why, as a culture, we can't just adapt to the fact that a lot of Asian cultures, they do the family name and then the individual right. name first. The movie realizes that that's the case for Tanaka Ken. And then everybody else is like... Not even his sister gets yeah. that. <laughs> but, uh, well, I guess she doesn't get the full name. Tanaka Ken has such a presence that you fucking have to. You have yeah. to say the whole name. And there's something about seeing in the opening credits that he's played by Takura Ken. Yeah, there's like I don't know. That's cool. I'm not sure, sure why, <laughs> but think of what his loyalty is. He after World War II, he goes into like the a, a cave for six years because he's still maintaining like his presence. He's not been told to stand down yet, and that was a big story right. in, in, in Japan. Many soldiers like went and hid, and then they came out years later and weren't sure if the war was still yeah. going on. Uh, so that just gives you an idea of like how committed he is to that real 
concept. I also think, I mean, a lot of this, I'm just sort of talking out my ass or just like trying to explain a feeling instead of citing evidence. But I feel uh, that the screenplay takes so much more time and gives so much more credence to uh, sort of talking about all the cultures, whether it's Japanese, American, old or new, as Mm -hmm. they're all a little bit dumb, right? It's all yes, a little yeah. bit dumb. Yeah. And I don't think Pollock does that at all. I think he does typically hang on Japanese. Like, there's a lot of Mitchum going, what? That's fucking weird um, with his eyes. But I, I don't think that... And he's supposed to be our insider. He's our white guy who knows what Japan's Well, like. he's got an interesting perspective because he, like, he pines for the Japan that was. And what that means right. is, like, two years at the end of the 40s. Right. That's such a weird idea to be like, this isn't the place I left. Well, yeah, the place, like, this was a war zone. And right. you were only here for a little bit, and it's like a very old culture. So why should it be like and what it was like when you were here? Don't trust twenty-year-old use memory of anywhere. Like yeah. you definitely are romanticizing. I remember nothing hurt inside my body, <laughs> and all the women loved me. <laughs> and my eyes were closer together. Man, Mitchum's eyes are flying apart from each other as he gets older. Yeah, some people, uh, Alec Baldwin, where they just <laughs> he started uh, to look like the sloth honey, from Ice Age. Expanded my head. But well, yeah, that's the he thing. Just full sloths out. Uh, Mitchum has like real drunk head in this. Yeah, like it's just his <laughs> face is so bloated. You it's can like really tell. You put a thumb in your mouth and blew really hard. <laughs> and like, and he's just struggling. I, I, there's some really good acting in this movie, and he has moments, but so much of it, he just seems absolutely lost in I the can, sauce. I, it'd be hard I for that me was to the character. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be hard for me to like tell you of another movie we've done for this podcast where somebody was so good and so bad in the same movie. In the same exact movie, mm-hmm. yeah, scene to scene, it was just like his good or bad days. Actually, I know what I I know what scene it is. Are there other actors in the room? And he probably got up for that. But then when it's just him, like when it's a close up of like him watching the dealings of what's going on in the room, they probably drug him out of his fucking trailer for that. And he is <laughs> not doing well. You know, I think it takes a lot of acting skill to be able to react when nothing in the room is going on. Uh-huh. Oh, for sure. And he's that's all gone with him. That's why he's not in a Marvel movie. He can't act against a tennis ball. <laughs> that's a real thespian <laughs> skill. We have to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to drill down into masculinity. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website it's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Taste buds. Does the Yakuza have anything interesting to say about masculinity, or is it just sort of on display in all of its mighty forms? I think it has less to say about masculinity, maybe, than cultural understandings of like what 
honor and mm-hmm. duty and sacrifice mean? Because I would say by the end, uh, Aiko, Aiko, mm-hmm. uh, it's Blonde. been it's been revealed that like she has made an ultimate sacrifice oh, yeah. herself. She has like basically sacrificed her life or a part of herself in the same way. And so I'm not saying that it's not about masculinity, but it seems like it has foregrounded cultural understandings and sort right. of backgrounded like masculine versus there just happen to be more dudes. Well, I mean, it's 1975. Yeah. I mean, uh, but honestly, like it's pretty kind of good roles for women. Yeah. Right. Like the two are, are pretty <laughs> both strong. Both of them. The thing about uh, Ico too is that she's got the part where part of it, it seems like that the movie's saying that part of masculinity in both cultures is um, it's everything sort of all your decisions are written out based on how your culture works, you know. Right. So like, uh, if you're American, then you bring a gun to a fight, but you also will backstab. You also bring a gun to church. You bring a gun to church, <laughs> and you will you, say, <laughs> um, you will you know dishonor friendships or whatever for right. money. Um, that's why Iko, when she sees, uh, Robert Mitchum doing whatever he's about to do, she's like, uh, you trust your friend? Like, are you sure you want to trust your friend? She's the one who can look around. She knows the American. Or just like men, just how Uh, stupid men are. And you, you don't have to be blinded by all of these things that you think masculine people do. Right. Because I mean, if you, if you look at Tanner, uh, Tanner is not, I think, portrayed as super masculine or mm-hmm. effeminate or anything like that. But he is portrayed definitely as like this wishy-washy American, guilt-free, like, what did you expect trusting me? Right. Like, isn't that I'm kind pissed. of on it's you? your fault. Yeah. After decades. I, I've shown you that I'm a backstabber. I've shown you that I'll do anything for money. Isn't it kind of on you after a while? I, I think Tanner's very interesting. And then the Yakuza, he partners with is it tono tono uh both of them are good at i think tono better than tanner but are good at uh doing here here's the outwardly i'm being honorable and loyal tono did like yeah. this we meet people are bowing he's bowing but he and tanner even though they dicked each other over their whole thing is to they've now are inextricably tied and they're like well let's fuck everybody else over for money and tono is betraying like decades of or or longer, all like the Yakuza honor code. Yeah. I don't know if they ever explained wh- why they're so tied together, but the Tanner's like, um, I was supposed to buy some guns with your money, and <laughs> I just didn't. I I'm sorry, but He's I like, didn't do, do you know futures? Are, you know you don't know. Don't <laughs> yeah, you, you wouldn't even understand that. But <laughs> it was so dumb what I did. <laughs> uh, it was all in frozen orange juice, but yeah. Uh, I, you yeah. gotta sell puts. Come on. I didn't. I didn't buy the guns. And Tono's reaction is, "Why didn't you tell me?" You know, like Tanner right, which is lets the, us know they're pretty close. That's what pretty, I took that as. They're pretty close, but they're also the same level. Like uh, class sometimes maybe outweighs culture. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they're both kind of trying to take on the wealthy people or the people in charge. Mm. Now, another another facet of masculinity is is it wheat? 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 Yeah, the, 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 the guy professor? with all the guns, the chess guy, the guy who can't play chess because he gets too goddamn riled. Too verklempt. Yeah. That even Dusty is like, wait, chess? You can't play chess? <laughs> and like, what? it's interesting because there's these three guys who all fell in love with Japan when they were younger and all have very different relationships to it currently. It feels like uh, Kimmler fell in love with the his fantastical version of the honor and, and like it's different and, and, but the, the, that's where loyalty means something. And, and 
Turner fell in love with the opportunity there because we destroyed it. So now it's going to build up and I can do whatever I want. And then it's a crisis. They're going to have to put a whole new city here now. Right. And wheat is, it feels like, I think with the chess, with his love of new weapons and old weapons, he's at least trying to be like, I love all of it. Yeah. Like in its totality. I mean, he seems to love the philosophy. He literally lives there and never leaves. So he loves that. He also, uh, I think that it's important that he also hangs out on the second story and sort of never comes down. You know, like Ivory when, Tower. Yeah, w- something like that. When the, all the action goes down, there's this huge shootout in the bottom story of his house. He just stands up there and screams, like, stop it. As people like, are shooting just, each other, he's like, just stop. Yeah. Just please stop. And it, it, I mean, it does nothing. It, it maybe distracts no. a couple people, but it does nothing. Uh, and that's, I think that's saying something about the book read study the culture but don't live the culture right kind of person he also can we talk about his fucking storytelling abilities yeah yeah man you got a lot of you got a lot of choices to make as a filmmaker for how you want to deliver information from the past just having a dude sit down and read like three paragraphs is definitely one of the ways you could do it i mean they ran out of budget (laughs) for no other reason than this like this is bad this this is when meacham's just like wandering through the alleys right yes to bring up Defy Bloods again, though. Okay, so Defy Bloods handle the same thing, and they're like, we're going to de-age him. Yeah. We'll just absolutely hit him with computers like you ain't never seen, and nobody will know. It's the old man doing the flashback. So, like, you can flashback recast, flashback, and Irishman candy candy up everybody's faces. <laughs> uh, or you can just have someone be like, all right, audience, give me two seconds here. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you some stuff, okay? Try to remember all of this, because you're going to meet some of these people here in the next few seeds. <laughs> But that's why flashbacks at least work better because you get to visually see. You're not just like, okay, that's another. I name. had honestly, okay, I had to name. flashback when I was watching the movie the first time. About halfway through it, I'm like, I'm gonna go back to that part where he was just like giving a rundown of what went <laughs> what went on like 30 years ago. It's also crazy. You can tell that he's the book reader, uh, yeah. not just because he wears glasses, but typically, like in a any other movie, Dusty would be like, "So what happened?" And then Wheat would be like, "Oh, it was crazy," blah blah blah. But he sits Wheat down. He, in, they're both in like beanbag chairs. I suppose they're you're like, going to want to hear the entire story. It was December 12th, 1944. <laughs> and Dusty's like, oh, Christ. The dude Son used erstwhile bitch. twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's a raconteur for you. <laughs> uh, going, the, the, the scene you referenced when, when Wheat's up above yelling, don't do that. That's one of the, like, there's like a few like action set pieces. Is this movie actually trying to say anything or do anything with action? Well, yeah, I think that the best reason to put that character up there is just to separate the wheat from the chaff boom boom shakalaka i wish i could give points from downtown but this, is, this is not a point he's hitting up <laughs> <laughs> uh, i you know i there is an inevitability to violence in this movie and mm-hmm. it's the violence of like the real world but i think it's also the violence of of hollywood uh, i heard that the, the 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 like studio got this movie and they were like they did not feel that there was too much violence they were like yo this is called yakuza can we please get a couple more shootouts and knife fights going on in this thing or what? But I, even with the message of it being like, it's inevitable. There's, there's too much of it. It seemed like a lot. Like there's Especially that scene, the end. Yeah. Towards the end. Right. They kill 20 dudes. There's like shots of Mitchum just like blind firing down, <laughs> down hallways. Hulking and just through like, walls. Yes. And it's just like, shit. Like there's some kind of cool stuff. Uh, Tanaka Ken gets his like shirt slit open and his yeah. Yakuza tattoo. He's, he's not mad about that. And neither was I. And But I mean, well, that, Yakuza, yeah, that Yakuza tattoo starts coming through and I'm like, whoa, imagery. 
<laughs> that's imagery. But tattoos like are it. imagery. <laughs> that's purely he tried to put away the accuser. They are literally cutting it and off that, of him. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. brought it out of him. I mean, because like, and in that scene, like, uh, to speak more of the violence, like, he is supposed to not kill that guy with the spider tattoo on his head. But the guy takes a couple extra swipes at him, which I think, you know, that's a bad idea. But he's he very much has yeah. the choice of not he stabbing. He thinks that about guy. it and goes, No, I'm gonna nah, kill my brother's I'm gonna kid. Do it. At this point <laughs> at this point the Yakuza tattoo is completely exposed and he's like, Nobody who opposed me is leaving this place. The other and just kills that guy. The other tattoo shot I think that happens is that uh, he's got some sort of monster on his back with two eyes, but blood covers one. So leaving one eye open, mm-hmm. clutching your pillow tie. I do think that's some sort of revenge blah 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 the guy i want to talk about though is the there's like a businessman who's big in the opening you know uh the free agent who appears like after they kill all those people and he just comes out and he's like i just want you to know that i saw all this and i gotta go back and tell people and he's he's sort of the bathroom like that's his second no 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 in the very opening scene he's he's sort of like comes in and negotiates he's the one who they want to see how well he speaks english so they're like they ask like where do you like to eat downtown he's like no i like brentwood better after all of the final action is done, he comes in and he picks up a sword. And watching yes. his face was very interesting going through the motions of like, I have to do this. I'm not sure I want to do this. I'm not sure where exactly my allegiance was. It's right. like, I have to do this, but also anybody can see this is dumb as hell. <laughs> right. Why should I come in here? Like, I'm just going to die. Best case scenario, I kill you. And there's just I'm 21 dead people in here. You're like, <laughs> right. why, why do I? And then he's like, I guess I'm gonna. It's like the No Country for Old Men. Uh, what are you gonna go do? Something dumber in hell? Like that's he's just like, <laughs> all right, time to do the stupid thing. Now I'll just pick up the sword. And I mean, ultimately, not only is he against a much better fighter in right. Ken, but also he's all warmed up and loose. Yeah, and tattoos of already not wearing tattoos are showing. Uh, Robert Mitchum has a gun just in case right. he does win. And then he watches. He's just also in the room. <laughs> yeah, and he has to like shift out of their way several times. The- I think I might actually kind of like all the violence in this. I think I've come around on it because I all, all these things that we're describing that I yeah. think actually are pretty good moments in the movie. There's just like five minutes before this stuff where you are just watching guys get just gunned down. Guys just basically throw a yeah. door open and Mitchum just shoots him with a shotgun. It's just Charles Bronson's. Yeah, what, what, that's what is exactly, it? That's exactly what yeah. it is. You know who we have besides the the free agent guy is, oh, I don't want to mess this up, um, it is the brother but not brother yeah. of Ken. He's yeah. got like gray hair and glasses. Or no, the Chris Parnell looking guy. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't know if this is on purpose, but he's sort of the only guy with glasses and hair like that in the entire movie. I do wonder if they made a Japanese guy look white to sort of blend the cultures. Like, he's going to be the exact person in the middle. Oh. And, but, and it's his role is to be the... Con- he's like the Yakuza consultant. Like, he goes in and tells them how to Yakuza better, and I think makes deals... Or how like, to be more legit. I felt like yeah, he yeah, was, yeah. like, maybe trying to pull the whole thing to the more legit. The Michael Corleone, right. like, maybe... We could just get this whole thing legitimate. <laughs> Duncan. <laughs> that is a great donuts. Goro from the Yakuza. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that that brother who, you know, tells, ends up telling Kilmer that um, it's not, it's not Aiko's brother. It's actually her husband. Yeah. Um, that he does a good job of being, every time anybody says anything, he's like, what the fuck? Why? Why? Why do we have to do this? Yeah. Because honor. And he's like, all right, but. Because he also holds to honor, but he's like, there's extents. Like, there's limits, right? I, like, and I, not in the shitty George Tanner way, and the let's not murder each other. I went to uh, the bathroom halfway through the movie, and I paused it. And when I came back, uh, it was frozen. The subtitle said, he's my response. It's uh, Ken and Kilmer. 
And the subtitle said, he's my responsibility. No, he's my responsibility. It's like, oh, there's the movie. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> That's, uh, that is everything that they talk Message. about right there. All right. We have to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the ending. That's after that violent ending we talked about. Taste buds. Looking at the one, two, three punch of murdering Spiderhead, Tanaka cutting off his finger, and Kilmer losing his finger, how do the endings support and negate the themes and messages of the film? I think uh, Tanaka Ken cutting off his finger is stupid, is a bad idea on his part. Because his brother's like, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't. Yeah, Please he freaks don't. Out. Don't, don't. That is when like you can be too rigidly into the code, it, right? He is ta- he's saying to you, even though it's the code of our culture, it's not going to be a meaningful act to me. Don't do not do it for me. Well, the, first he wants to kill himself. Yeah. He wants to commit... Uh, seppuku. Seppuku. But, big yeah. Paul Schrader thing, apparently. Then, yeah, for sure. But then I, I think when Kilmer does it, it is a good gesture because he what he learns when he sees Tanaka Ken do it is like, okay, wait, this is a very meaningful gesture for him. It's not for his brother. And so you shouldn't do it because if it doesn't matter to the other person, you ought not do it. Uh, right. But if if that's like the language I can use to tell him that it's not just words, I'm not just saying that I'm sorry. That's nothing. Mm-hmm. That's wind. Words are wind. I just made up. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and not a haiku. Uh, but if I will ceremonially do this and then make my most abject apology before I pass out. You right. know that's real because you know what it means, and I've I've watched you yeah. do it. So then I, I you got to take your friends and lovers' love language. Yeah, right. totally. If <laughs> My someone, love language is losing a pinky. If someone doesn't want you to cut off your finger for them, don't cut off your finger for them. There was also right. a a scene that was kind of important, but seemed kind of random about halfway through, where uh, Kilmer and somebody I don't remember if it was Dusty or somebody were sitting outside on the porch, and they asked him, "Oh, do you have family?" And he's like, "I do not." And it was it was very sad. It's very mournful. Like I, I I do not have family at home. I have no one to go home to, mm-hmm. and it, it left it lingered long enough. And Mitchum said it in such a way where he is not super stoked about the fact that he does not have family. People like Tanner is probably all he had, and right. for the low low price of one pinky, he can now have permanent family. Like he knows that Ken will be right. with him. Are these guys going to like vacation together or something? I got the feeling. I think so. They both are like in dad pants and the giant hats. It struck me. Socks with sandals. Well, it struck me. Killer also says like, oh, nobody likes him. Like, yeah. Yeah. It struck me very much as like very meaningful, but kind of like the most meaningful male friendship there can be, which is we'll never see each other. Silence. We (laughs) both know that we love each other. We have to go kill somebody. But it's just over. It's also like kind of neither of them have family. Because of each other. Well, he's right? going to get... Tanaka like, Ken's going to get with Aiko again, don't you think? Sister? No, I don't think so. Oh, I... <laughs> That's how you know it's a Chinatown writer. I do. I, weird I, is I feel like by uh, I feel like by cutting off his finger and making that thing, I, I felt like he was saying to him, like, don't do it, man. Don't let yourself be a ghost in your own life. Like, break out of this. And I can, t- I can say that to you now because I have met you 100% on your level. So I can mm-hmm. tell you, no BS. Don't let the rest of your life go by without like hooking up with this legitimately hot woman that you love that we both are in love and with. are already married to that's so convenient <laughs> yeah. man but you see, already got it set up this is ultimately the thing that i i think that this is what i'm getting from the movie about masculinity i don't know if it's trying to say it or not i don't know how much credit i give this movie but the movie talks about how like apologies are bullshit and you can really do whatever you want 
and then just say sorry, and then you're forgiven. Yeah, and, that's what kind of Tanner does. He's like, yeah, sorry about that thing about the gun. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I stole all your money and lost it. Oof, my bad. That's that's pretty true to life. For Tanaka, he has to lose a pinky, but if you think about it, all he has to do is lose a pinky. Like he is so so far down the shame well, and then once he cuts his pinky off, I think that he is excuse me free to go back to Aiko and live his life again like i think mentally he's now said i have sacrificed enough that's all you have to do and so there's I don't my know problem is like ready to go back to tell kimler because kimler was kind of the reason tanaka sent himself away to kyoto my problem is learning and changing and growing that's what right. masculinity is against in all of these movies and i'm not saying that the movie thinks that learning and don't grow that well, growing wasn't is night bad Mo- wasn't night moves pro growth just by showing th- what the absolute awful things that happen if you don't yeah, but that's programmed for the audience. We don't see it from the main characters. I feel like we kind of feel like as he's bleeding out on that boat, which is going in a circle, he's like, I, I blew it. I got to change my <laughs> life, dude. This is dumber shit. <laughs> you oh know what? God, I'm such an idiot. Starting Monday, I have to make some new life decisions. <laughs> I have a question because so the, the pinky cutoff thing is, and we're told by the movie, an old Yakuza tradition. Like it, it's it's henchmen do it for their superiors, basically. Is this movie actually about the Yakuza or by the end are they saying like, not the Yakuza aren't even the Yakuza anymore, but Ken and Harry are actually the real Yakuza because they still get the code. I yeah. feel like that's sort of implied in the title of the movie, but I I mean, I don't know if they're the real Yakuza all along, but I do feel like that's kind of how the movie <laughs> like means for it to shake out because it's not an examination of the Yakuza really in many other no. ways. And that's why, I mean, for a million yeah. reasons. But that's a big reason for why Scorsese would have been such a better director for this mm-hmm. is that he would have figured out these questions and maybe not answered them, but toyed with them in an entertaining and engaging way. Uh, and, and at some I, point, the movie would be like, why are we called the Yakuza? Imagine Scorsese shooting Tokyo. I can't believe what yeah. a bad job Pollock did showing how vibrant and interesting Tokyo is. For as long I as think- I can remember, I wanted to be a Yakuza. <laughs> <laughs> Go get your bento box. it was great. <laughs> I think why I could see, like, why I know I'm getting older and I could see, like, dudes who kind of want to check out loving this movie. And I do think there's things to love about this movie because, like you said, it's he didn't shoot Tokyo beautifully. The camera work is is pretty bland. It's You're going to lay in an Easy Boy cha- chair. TNT is going to put this <laughs> with, like, five other movies and you can just, like tune out and be like, yeah. Green Mile's going to be on in a think. second, but don't Sometimes you Sometimes I want to watch... I want to watch and think. And sometimes I just want to be like, oh, man, those old guys kicked ass. But, okay, so that's ultimately my problem. Okay? So make a fucking Paul Schrader hardcore movie that makes us feel like shit, makes us, like, uh, come to terms with our place in the world and Kick God, us in the emotional balls. Or make yeah. something that really does deserve to be on TNT all the time. The Scorsese is one of the few people who could go in the middle. Pollock cannot. I think that Pollock should have just said, hey, Schrader, I like your idea. I'm throwing away all of it, and I'm making a crowd-pleasing Robert Mitchum kicks ass in Japan. You know I'm going to add to this one? Uzis. But th- but this is boring. Yakuzis. <laughs> this is boring, and it's because he didn't pick a side. Like, I just don't when it says, boring. at the beginning, when it says, written by Paul Schrader and Robert Town, and you don't know any of the backstory of that, you're like, holy shit. Right, like this is the Avengers of screenwriting coming together, <laughs> and I think that does shine through. I mean, I, I I think they save the movie. Like, I guess that's the difference. I think Mike and I are on the same page that like we think that Paula kind of blew it, but I I think that Schrader and Townsend did such a good job 
mm-hmm. that it, it it shines through. Like Pollock made what they wrote down. They, he he put it up there on the screen, and it was good enough to. I think make something compelling. Yeah, but, uh, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I guess I'm just the opposite. I'm like, this action, it could have been better. This existential crisis shit. This, uh, are we all, are we different cultures? Are we all one culture of man or is culture uh, not even a thing that exists that Schrader would have done? That's not executed well. And so we're just left hanging. Yeah, I guess it, it really, t- I was like, oh, s- this is a fine movie. And those yeah. need to exist too. <laughs> like that's what oh, it did. Oh me. no, I would love to have a two and a half star inoffensive for our modern day taste nineteen seventy five movie. Like that is what we got. That's nice. Yeah. And it's just like I, I could I do feel like I get that you're bored. I feel like I could recommend this to people and just like whatever in the rec- how you pitch the recommendation will be what the person gets out you, of the movie because there's no choices made. I feel like I could recommend this to friend of the the podcast, Taylor, or my dad. And there's not right. like a ton of crossover there, except they both. No, love they are memes. mortal enemies. <laughs> <laughs> it's really we'll just, get into that on another episode. It's a whole thing. <laughs> it's really just the '80s show Airwolf. That's the only <laughs> thing that they both love. <laughs> Dude, that's probably true. <laughs> my dad loved Airwolf. I think my dad and I have seen every episode of Airwolf. But they hate how the other one talks about yeah, it. Yeah, he doesn't get it. That's the thing. He doesn't realize what it's about. Airwolf. <laughs> we're gonna take a break and we come back airwolf taste buds can you believe with the who's who of hollywood we've talked about all night that the yakuza was not nominated for any academy awards i feel like this movie came out and everyone agreed to forget about it do you know what it is too it's similar but different than the man who would be king I think Man Who Would Be King had, there was a level of coolness that we talked about mm. that we all found disgusting, but <laughs> uh, it did harken back to old school movies. And I think this movie harkened way too far back to old school movies. They're just, mm. we're in 1975, dude. We're watching shit like Nashville in the theaters. And you want us to go see the Yakuza with Robert goddamn Mitchum? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? I heard somebody uh, say that he was hot off the Friends of Eddie Coyle. Uh, what is that? A movie mean? from is that a that, saying we should start saying. <laughs> you know that guy; he's hot. A movie from a couple years before. That's another cult hit. Nobody was going to see Robert Mitchum movies. Yeah. Mm. Well, you can see why he's an old man. Yeah, he's a guy that like Tarantino or the Coen Brothers would revitalize the career if he was alive today. Yes. Th- this movie was mostly famous because of how fucking much Paul Schrader made. Oh really? Yeah, they auctioned off $10. the script, and he made ten dollars. Nineteen seventy-five was crazy. Was some? It was crazy. It was like three hundred thousand dollars or something. The mo- there was not a huge budget for this movie. That was a lot of it. Damn. All right. So we are going to give it awards. Took a second to remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are we? We're giving money to Paul Schrader. <laughs> Greg, what is your cringiest moment of the Yakuza? You know, I think this movie does a pretty good job we for did, 1975. Yeah, and yeah, like for we, most of our films, we just saw the man who would be king a couple weeks ago, and like I'm still angry about it uh but i will say this in the early part of the movie when they're trying to explain what happened to tokyo they use the construction a firestorm swept the city no that's not what happened america firebombed the city and killed one hundred thousand right. civilians that's what happened there we did that's that some real use of language and, so no one's responsible yeah, it's not passive voice because it's like firestorm <laughs> is actively doing the verb swe- sweeping the city but like for a movie that does take a lot of accountability, right. it did a weird thing with the occupation and especially with the destruction of uh, Tokyo where it was like, yeah, Tokyo got destroyed. And it's like, okay, no, we have to reckon with the fact that they are part of the force 
that Mitchum right. and Tanner are part of the force that came in and leveled the city and incinerated a bunch of just folks. Like the Five Bloods. Right. A lot like in, in the Five Bloods. I mean, any any movie or book or real people you know who were in the service and fell in love with the country they fought in, it's always going to be complicated. fascinating. Yeah. Because it is complicated as hell. Because yeah. you're like, I fell in love with this culture. Probably during or after... You destroyed a lot of that culture. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I get it. I get it. That's a bit of a cringe, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Cringe, you say? Uh, And yet, I mean, that's another reason why this is so old school. It's not just, it's not always a compliment of like, oh, look, you're respecting the old thing. Every other movie in 1975 would have doubled down on the amount of damage that America did in Japan in World Mm. War II. And this movie doesn't attach us to that at all. Uh... My cringiest moment, though, is from Ken uh, when he's talking to his brother and Kilmer at the end, and he sits down next to his brother and says, well, if anything, I'm glad that this, all of this has brought us together. All of this is his murder or his daughter and most of everybody he knows being murdered. And he's like, yeah. well, but we're hanging out now. It so. did remind hey. us of what's important. <laughs> Family. <laughs> oh, we lost Dude's so much grown out. <laughs> and for, Ken's a real silver lining kind of guy. You can tell. But like for a character like Ken, this is the most emotional he's ever going to be. Is yeah. to be like, it is good. We are together. Period. Mm. And <laughs> it's over the death of his daughter. I'm going to become that guy. Uh, mine is Dusty. And it's I, the movie wants it to be sweet. The characters all react like it's a sweet moment. Look at these two young kids who are who are going through what Kimler and Aiko went before. But she's making tea, and it's a, like it's the ceremony, it's the ritual. And he goes, "I love watching you do that." That was and she's sweet. Like, oh, you're supposed to. But the way he draws it out, I'm like, ah, I haven't seen enough of you guys interacting for this to not feel pervy. I know what you mean, but I do think they had a real... They, they had, like, a palpable energy. They were a great a great combo. But I did kind of have the same reaction. He's just like He just, like, got a little too stanky with, the, like, the watch. Yeah. I love to watch you do that. That's, like, you say that after you bone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, can, it's, it's the pre-bone, it's creepy. be like, wow, you do that with a lot of elegance? Yes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Dusty's not a kind of guy who notices elegance. No. Or say something like, oh, I hope you don't spill that tea. But... Spill that tea about you, girl. How are you? <laughs> you can say something like what that. Is up? What is your dating life like? Pound for pound performance, Ryan. I, I'll just say my answer. Then maybe we could talk about some of the people who didn't win. Um, I think that you absolutely have to go with Ken, who yep. has a really difficult job. In fact, uh, our American movies of the 80s are filled with people with this difficult, difficult job not doing it. Uh, just being the stoic action hero right. who like the screenwriter had to make them stoic because they could not act, you know, and you can feel Ken's fire and tension and hate yeah. and anger and all of that behind him not talking. I thought it was an incredibly impressive performance. His when he's talking to when we meet Ken and we've heard different things from different people, mostly that this guy's a stodgy old fuck with a stick up his butt. And we don't know why yet. Uh, when Wait, we meet you him mean, in Kyoto. Stodgy old fuck with a stick up his butt? <laughs> and you don't know why yet? Uh, it, the, the way he's... You're like, okay, you're probably a good teacher. His just like... The the barely his stoic face changing from like, I'm a coach to my mortal frenemy just walked in the room. is right there. I'm like, oh, that guy's winning. And then the rest of the movie proved it. How about so staying you, outside until class is over, everybody? Yeah, it's real rude. Oh, that's such a movie thing. To if just you ever, bust into classrooms. If you ever come to my class... 
do not walk right the fuck in. I could not imagine that. I'll you go. I'll become like Christian Bale when that dude like walked through his vision yeah, when he was for you. Do not walk into my class when I'm teaching. I think I'm it's best in mid lecture and just be like, "Hey, Greg, I uh, I'm just in town and I need to tell you something." <laughs> Greg, you know where I get some porn? <laughs> yeah, it's, where's the porn? Greg, who's yours? Ryan's answer was so good, but I'm glad I have a different answer because that gives us a little, a little sugar to go with this spice. Um, I'm going to say Brian Keith, who plays uh, Tanner. I think in part because, like, what an interesting part to have to play. He kind of never makes it like he's not a complete fuck up. And then yeah. when everything comes apart, he's just like, yeah, man, I just, it's me, right? Like, you know that I'm going to do this because, like, I'm bad like this. <laughs> like, a bastard. Or, aren't you figuring that out yet? And that sort of like not giving a, a, a shit, um, but not in like a cool guy way. They're not giving right. a shit in like a, nothing matters and I, I'm, nothing is valuable to me. I just thought that it was a, lo- it was a lot to do and I thought that mm-hmm. he did it pretty well. And bought it. Like there's like an aw shucks you believe it. That, like, yeah. That's it. It's like that, that's this thing that the fucking straight white male boomers have of like it's half aw shucks and half like don't embarrass me. You know, like right. we really don't want to embarrass them because we're not sure what they're capable of. Uh, they might just go off and hit you, but uh, yeah, he did it all. And there was there was always this like tone of like, oh, you know me, I'm Tanner, even though I'm I have all of the qualities of essentially Cobra Commander. <laughs> <Right>. I'm Tanner, <laughs> you know, whatever. Big star scream he, energy. <laughs> he, uh, if there was a 1975 Batman movie, the performance and the character, he would not be obviously the villain, like the main villain, but yeah. he's definitely the gangster Batman's going up against before one of the freaks show up. The Falcone. That's the vibe. All right, we've talked all show about how this guy is not a director, so director signature moment. Wait, before Greg. we do that, Mike, can we can we talk about Mitchum a little bit? And like, did he have a chance for you guys? Did you? So you picked Ken, Mike? Yeah. Okay. Did Mitchum have a shot? I loved Mitchum. Yeah, I, I thought he did really well. I, I think it's so rare that we get to talk because I mean we've never gone so back like to nineteen seventy five, you know, and this is a fifties and sixties actor. So like yeah. we're talking about classic Hollywood sort of for the first time. Uh, and I wanted to know how he resonated or if at all. I thought he picked his way through it. And I thought that he had scenes where it really worked. And generally, being kind of a frumple, frumpled older uh, actor kind of worked mm-hmm. for the part. But I do think that there were just moments that really didn't work. And he seemed like, I don't know, it almost seemed like screen tests or something like that. And I think you're right, Ryan. I think it might be times where he was doing solo stuff and, and, and it just it just wasn't working. And then the way you have to stitch those into the scenes uh, like also right. detracts from the other things you're doing. So yeah, he never stood a chance for me, but I, I thought their performance was, you know, it was interesting at least. The Ken Seppuku slash finger cut scene at the end, like it keeps cutting to him and he is about to throw up. And you yeah. think it's because of... The culture, but it's because of the vodka in his tum tum and his own his own apology, like all covered in sweat, and like is it is it emotion that's making his voice quaver, or the fact that he's about to pass out, or the fact that he's in right. so much pain? But you know what we do have because we have Mitchum, like uh, old time star. There's things like Dusty saying that Tanner hired me to do more than you think. Like Tanner right. hired me to like watch you and make sure you don't do anything. But right now, I am turning on him. And there's not a lot of like buildup or runway for that. Yeah. The reason is, is because you're Robert fucking Mitchum and it still works. When you're a star yeah. like that, you don't need to write into the script, oh, everybody's on your side now because you're just Robert right. fucking Mitchum, you know? You're just a magnet. Yeah. All right. Now, director's signature moment. 
Greg. All right. Uh, I really, I did research on this one because I was like, okay, I see a couple of Pollock movies, but like, what's his style? And if type in Pollock and style into the internet, and I guarantee you're not going to find anything on the first couple of <laughs> He wore answers. a lot of sweaters. So I will say, I'm just going to bring up what is my like fucking, I think, favorite moment from the movie, which is uh, Mitchum goes, <laughs> uh, oh man, I got to get back to Kyoto. And before he says the entire O, it cuts <laughs> to a bullet train going the opposite way that you have just seen the bullet train going the other way. And I don't know, I don't know if they played that for laughs or what, but I rewound it and watched it like three times. I got to get back to Kyoto. That's, and that was after he's told you they have 45 minutes before they have to leave for the airport. Like I got to get back to Kyoto. That's one of those like, uh, get up from the chair and make sure you didn't hit the remote. Like what? Did I just help edit this movie? That was terrible. That's, that's not fucking... Arthur Penn trying to overlap um, Harry's tape recordings and night moves. And it's all oh. confusing, but it's all on purpose. That was, that's just bad. <laughs> What's yours, Ryan? Uh, we already talked about it, but it's like, man, this, this guy, this fucking nerd is telling a really long story. <laughs> I'll put some, put some Robert Mitchum walking in between. <laughs> Can I get a little sax in here? I mean, the it's only, always that song. The only thing we didn't yeah. have is signs like uh, Tokyo signs floating in the uh-huh, background while yeah. he was it's walking. Very, it felt like The Simpsons, right? That's like, yeah. And uh, and Pollock talks about that. He's like, oh, I think we got away with it. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't, dude. And again, the thing that he said was, I just didn't want to do flashback. Yeah. And what that is is that like it's a real. I think it's an old school screenwriting like never have narration. Yeah, you know, right. you never want to have flashback. You can have flashback if it's good, or and, just find also, some other way, like. If, find something other than just one of the characters speaking for or there's three not minutes. A, there's not an indirect relationship where if you have flashback, it's bad. Therefore, if you don't have it, it's good. It's How about good. this? Yes, yes. How about this? Cut to uh, Star Wars style crawl wow. <laughs> in the middle. Just like, oh, you in didn't hear about the history in the middle of the yeah. movie. Uh, but still in the crawl. Yeah. He's just walking around <laughs> look at, reading the words. Palpatine's alive. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Especially because I don't, I don't think that middle added anything. They all of it was kind of handled in how everybody in like little sentences and like here and there. Oh, yeah, like, oh, okay, I see it. And then they're like, in case you walked out for a while, here's what's going. Yeah, on. Yeah, and in fact, it makes it seem way more complicated than it really is. It for makes sure. it seem like a huge, long, crazy story. And all it is is this guy that you're about to meet has a history with him, and they don't get right. along, and we, so then it caused them to split up. I and, swear to God, we knew that. And I swear to God, we figured that out. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, does he say why they're enemies? Yeah, dude, remember World War II? <laughs> so like, you know that these guys are going to get along. They fought a whole war about it. Mine, uh, and it goes with because it felt like the time where it's like you're trying to do something. It was when they're in the bathhouse. Uh huh. There's so many like zoom ins, and then the, there's yes. like the women on the other side, and it's all cloudy. And then there's like, now look at the fish, now look under the water, now look at the men. And I was just like, so nobody taught you how to shoot tension, but <laughs> it's just, I know it's going. Things are getting tense. real tense, huh? But no, I mean, I'm sure that he knows how, but not for a 1975 audience. Like that right. scene struck me of. Bruce Springsteen rapping like, oh, you you think that you're learning from your younger it felt people. James Bondian in the bad sense, right? Also, you All can't right. go to those bathhouses if you have tattoos. So how that guy Eastern Promises taught us that <laughs> because they don't want fucking gangsters in there. You can't be Yakuza in there, so you can't go in if you have a tattoo. 
so many times. You can't be Yakuza. Dinosaur in the tattoo. You can't be Yakuza. My Harley Quinn tattoo. <laughs> I try to go to a massage parlor, and they're like, "No, no, no! You might be a gangster. <laughs> You're too hard, Mike. You might be a gangster." <laughs> Speaking of Eastern promises, it's time for me to Eastern promise you recommendations that tracks. Greg, give me a recommendation. Uh, the movie I couldn't stop thinking about was First Reformed. Uh, which is my first Raider, right? Baby's first Raider. Uh, and I'm it, not just because, you know, every climate report that comes out, including the one most recently that says that, like, you know, it's not almost now too late. Really it's fucked. just too late. And, you know, we're all going to we're all going to die. Probably uh, we're probably all going to die in our lifetimes. Uh, we're all going to die in our <laughs> lifetimes. <laughs> but it, it ends with, it, you know, it's about the same sort of like extremity of behavior it's about the sort of like self-denial self-destruction um causing yourself pain and i I just think that when you see first reformed uh you really understand how much schrader is bringing to this to this movie right yeah Uh, yeah i mean i I bet they thought that they cut him down more than they did you know like can't cut schrader yeah he still rears his ugly head even when you think he's gonna cut himself down yeah (laughs) just the pinky ryan I am going recommend? to go with, uh, we always talk about Charles Lawton as an actor. Of course. But yeah, we never stop almost. What if he made a movie, and he did, he only made one. That movie is called Night of the Hunter. I thought you were going to stop there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that movie's called what? Mike, back to you. Uh, <laughs> that movie is called The Night of the Hunter, and it does star one Robert Mitchum uh, as a reverend rolling around town, rolling around the country. Uh, finding families to quote unquote hang out with, and I will say that it is the single greatest performance I have ever seen. Robert Mitchum is not as—I don't want to say prolific because he made a lot of movies, but you'd be surprised at like how many are classics as compared to some of the other actors that you know we speak of in the same breath. There's not a ton. He was Max Cady, who was Sideshow Bob uh, from Cape Fear. Um, that's oh. that's another one of his big ones. But in the obviously the original one. Never, sorry to interrupt. Obviously the original one. Bye everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was not Robert De Niro in that movie. <laughs> That's why I was like, yeah. Wait, uh, they didn't have did, him did play Mitchum Robert play De Niro. <laughs> but that would be pretty good though, right? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. He like would have really got lost in that role. Um, but uh, yeah, he has love and hate tattooed on his knuckles, which is, I guess is a thing because also Max Cady from Cape Fear, I, I believe, has things tattooed on his knuckles. How about just love? No, great. Love and love. Love yeah. is love. L U V and H A with an umlaut T. <laughs> if you only have three fingers. Uh he doesn't have the pink. Right. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's an incredible performance that is all of the times a creepy. It's like it's it's not a horror movie except for him. And Dude, <laughs> that's awesome. that makes me interested in it. What he does to the movie is he was good here. But he's old. He's past his prime. He's shit faced. He's about to throw up in multiple scenes. <laughs> and just say the title again, Ryan. The Night of the Hunter. The Night of the Hunter. Nice. Uh, mine is if if you liked a movie about a guy going back to somewhere he was past, and it's now it's a different culture. You think you know what it is. My favorite genre. And you're a little violent. Or he's a little violent. I don't know. You shouldn't be if you're watching it. Uh, I'd say go watch Gross Point Blank. Oh, shit. I, I, it reminded me a lot of that. Just Gross Point Blank is a funny version and you're going back to where you came from. Lost Love, uh, something tore them apart. You want to stop Dark shooting past. people in the head, but you just kind of keep you shooting people can't. in the head. Dan Aykroyd is in both. With the TV on his head. 
Also, uh, Defy Bloods. People should people should go see that. Yeah, too. if it's it, if that wasn't clear, Defy <laughs> Bloods. <laughs> that is all the time we have. But don't worry. In your bonus season, we are still covering Bonus Dog Picnic at Hanging Rock and Sallow. Until then, I think it's important to note that in our bracket season, our regular season, we're doing Three Days of the Condor, another Sydney oh, yeah. Pollock movie. So after this, get pumped up for shampoo, that. Shampoo, another Robert Town movie. Oh, how fun! But there's Robert so much, Town, like, so much what? cool connection between these seventy-five movies. There's like five guys. In the <laughs> Until then, keep watching those movies. 